Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the CapEx podcast. I'm John Ashmore, the editor of CapEx. Few countries on earth are as politically and economically repressed as Cuba. For all the brutality and illiberalism of six decades of one-party rule, the communist regime has somehow managed to sell an image of itself as a brave holdout against Western imperialists, rather than a despotic economic basket case allied to the world's very worst regimes, including Putin's Russia. Our guest this week, Rosa Maria Paya, is the scion of what she describes as a family of dissidents on the Caribbean island. Her late father, Oswaldo, was a prominent human rights activist who won the Saharov Prize and was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Rosa Maria has continued his work by founding Cuba Decide, a grassroots initiative campaigning for democracy and rule of law on the island. I caught up with Rosa Maria on her recent trip to the UK, where she came to Parliament to speak about the plight of Cuban political prisoners and to urge the British government to introduce further sanctions against the communist regime. Rosa, thank you so much for being on the CapEx podcast all the way from Florida. Uh, It's a real treat for us. And I believe it's your British podcasting debut. So thank you for choosing CapEx. Um, Can you just tell for our listeners, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your your background and also your family's background? Because it's an important part of your story. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much for having me, John. I come from a from what is known as a family of dissidents in in Cuba. My father founded a movement to to promote human rights and to promote a democratic change in Cuba back in nineteen eighty eight. Uh, his movement is called the Christian Liberation Movement because it has an inspiration on the Christian humanism, not because it is a confessional. A, a confessional movement is actually very open to... Okay, so it's not, a, it's not a specifically religious movement, but it's based on the ideals of Christianity. Yes, right? yes, which is already um, subversive in the middle of a communist regime, mm-hmm. uh, where many Christians, many Catholics, many um, people that practice, for instance, Yoruba religions, African religions in Cuba that are also big, uh, where repressed, persecuted, sented to forced labor camps, as it happened to my father at the age of 17 years old in Cuba. And it also happened to people that was gay, people to list that, that used to listen the Beatles, for instance, right. music in English, all yeah. those things, any alternative expression was 
persecuted and is being persecuted right now too under different circumstances but uh, religious freedoms right now are very um, very repressed uh, on the island. We have several friends for instance that are in jail. Many of them are leaders of Christian churches and mm -hmm. are right now in jail. Some of them have been even tortured while in while in jail. But going back to 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 my to my family, my father led the the biggest uh, organized movement to promote a change in the island using the system, using the rules of the system, changing the system. And that was called the Varela Project, which was an initiative of law that was based actually in an article that was on the Cuban Communist Imposed Constitution and that allowed uh, Cubans to have initiative of law. Of course, no one never ever dared before to use that article to um, try to uh, guarantee human rights. My father and tens of thousands of Cubans did it because tens of thousands of signatures were required to change the law. And Fidel Castro uh, violated their, uh, his own constitution to ignore the Varela project and to put all the leaders of the Varela project in jail, but my father, uh, my father was killed by the Castro regime a few years afterward. And that was in 2012, That right. was in, uh, yes, in, in 2012. And he was killed together with a dear friend, Haro Sepero, that was my age at the moment that, uh, that he was assassinated by agents of the Cuban state security, by orders of, of Fidel and or Raul Castro in that moment. And so that, I try to continue that legacy together with many others. Yeah, and it's very striking um, for our listeners. If if you go on YouTube and put in Rosa's name, you'll see a meeting of the UN in 2013 where she tries to talk about this and a kind of club of dictatorships tries to silence you. I think the China, well, the Cuban guys sort of shouting at you, Quintanilla, and the Chinese and Venezuelans, it's like a, it's an awful little kind of autocrats. Yeah, you, you, you describe it very well. It's a club of dictatorship. I mean, the, the Human Rights Council is, is a joke, a very bad one. Yeah. Um, I, I have been silenced in, the, in, uh, in Geneva itself by, uh, by this delegation of dictatorships that are the majority in the Human Rights Council. And it's... It's very sad because I believe it was Ban Ki Moon in that moment. Um, in in, in sorry, so it was Ban Ki Moon. Yes, yeah. in in two thousand and twelve, I believe it was the yeah. the end of two thousand and twelve, or the beginning of two thousand thirteen. After uh, after the killing of my father, he issued a, a statement saying that a, a real investigation, an independent investigation, was required on the death of of of, uh, of the opposition leader of Valdo Payat, my father. And then nothing happened. And then the uh, United Nations uh, just did nothing but uh, silencing uh, me and, and any voice that is raised on that, uh, on that Human Rights Council trying to um, expose the truth and to have some solidarity. Mm -hmm. 
It's a, it's a great example, if you, if you watch it, of how uh, these regimes use the kind of bureaucratic processes of the UN to shut down anyone who says anything they don't want to hear. Yes, I it's a, it, our very lack of, let's say, any sort of uh, reservations or pudor, actually. This is so obvious what they are doing. Yeah. Uh, they are not ashamed of... Um, of presenting themselves as a power within the Human Rights Council. And, and, and that's, very, that's very concerning, not just for, for the citizens of uh, authoritarian and totalitarian countries as myself, and sadly many others in the world, but it's also very sad for the, for the democracies of the world that they are allowing this to happen. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's really not a great advert for the UN as an organization. <laughs> um, coming back to Cuba itself, what would you say life is like? And I know you, you live largely in the United States now, but what, what is life like for average Cubans, their day-to-day life in terms of prices, medicine, things like this? Well, right now, uh, right now it's, it, it, the, the Cuban people is living... A crisis that it, that that I believe is uh, at a humanitarian level, mm-hmm. and it's possible that that the British citizenry is not aware of that because the Cuban regime have been very successful in presenting themselves as I don't know some beacon for social justice, uh, yeah. medical powerhouse where everybody is equal, when the reality is that well that the Cuban military elite, the Castro family and the generals, they have that fact why the Cuban people is starving. And right now the Cuban people is starving. I mean, the inflation in Cuba is, has been multiplied by at least 10 in the last year, year and a half. Which means that, well, actually the, the Hanke rank uh, that was published by National Review a, a few weeks ago, uh, ranked Cuba as the most miserable country in the world. Yeah, this is the misery index. Exactly. And and that's a very illustrative example of what the Cuban people is living right now. Uh, We were hit by one of the most terrible uh, COVID outbreaks while the Cuban dictatorship refused any sort of help or vaccines from the international community, they were claiming that they were developing their own vaccines. So the Cuban people is not vaccinated with any verified vaccines till this day. Um, they sent out a major number of Cuban doctors trying to profit with that with, with their labor while the Cuban people were lacking off um, medical supplies, hygiene products, or doctors dying in metal beds without mattresses while they presented uh, uh, the Cuban public health system to the international community as an example. We are not sure of how many Cubans have died during the last year because of, because of COVID, but we know that um, they, in some point on, on, that, on, the, on the last summer, hundreds were they were dying in in a, in a daily base 
according yeah. with some data that some provinces were able to 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 publish. Yeah, and we, we should say this is in a country of only 11 million people. Exactly. So if you imagine exactly. the UK rate, sort of thousands a day but per, the, per capita, you know. Yes, the, uh, 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 and under very desperate conditions. To give you an idea, the bodies were delivered to the families in trash bags. Really? Okay. And the families were... Pro- prohibited from opening the bags because the medical personnel couldn't even confirm that the body that was on the bag trash was the body that belonged to that family. Okay. That's, that's the level of the crisis that was taking place in Cuba. And it is, in some, in some sense, still going on because uh, for, for many families to get to the end of the week or the end of the day is, is very difficult right now because of the prices, because of the lack of opportunities and on the top of that, because of the uh, political repression that has increased uh, majorly during the, during the last months following the massive protests that took place on summer. Yeah, we'll we'll come on to that because last July there was a big kind of outpouring of opposition to the regime. I still kind of in my head want to call it the Castro regime, but it's it's not really anymore, is it? Um, I just want to come back to the briefly to what you were saying about doctors because there is this idea, particularly among some kind of Western leftists, mm-hmm. that Cuba, as you say, is this kind of beacon to the world because it sends doctors abroad, but. The Cuban government does that to make money, does it not? Yes, and there's nothing wrong uh, with making money. The, the, the wrong part is that they are trafficking persons uh, with uh, uh, actually United Nations, that very flaw United Nations, had to, had to classify the Cuban medical brigades as forced labor trafficking in person operations. There's, mm-hmm. there's a report from the Special Rapporteurs of United, of United Nations classifying the, the denounces that came from the doctors as, uh, as forced labor operations that are basically uh, a way in which the Cuban regime profits with, uh, with, with the work of these, of these doctors that are sent out to uh, foreign countries and they are prevented from leaving or, or quitting their, their job. Their families are kept hostage on, yeah. on Cuba. They cannot, uh, they cannot travel with their families. If they, for some reason, if they decide to abandon the mission, their families are going to be punished with at least seven years in which they cannot leave Cuba and at least seven years in which these doctors that abandoned the mission cannot return to the island. So they become stateless? They become stateless, yes, as many Cubans have become stateless. And they cannot return to their family, their sons, their mothers there, Uh, not even in in situations of of emergency. And, uh, of course, all these contracts are contracts that are done uh, with the Cuban state, Mm-hmm. Um, by the by, the governments or by the public health ministry or by um, local governments, but with the Cuban state, roughly the eighty between the eighty and the ninety percentage of the actual salary of each doctor is going directly 
to the Cuban regime and the doctors only receive the 10 percentage. So in some they, cases, the twenty percentage of their of their actual salary. Right. So they basically only kind of get enough to live on, and yes, yeah. I mean it's it's the definition of modern slavery. Yeah. So to those governments that actually engage with the Cuban regime in this in this trafficking in person operations, uh, they are not just violating the human rights of of, yeah. of the Cuban doctors. They are also they are also exposing. They are contrary to the interference of the Cuban state security apparatus. And I want to briefly explain this with an example. Um, to give you an idea of how these forced labor operations are not just forced labor operations with the goal of, uh, of profiting, but also with, a lot, with the goal of interfering in the internal business of the countries. During the constitutional government of Bolivia, a few years ago, uh, they opened the archive. So we know exactly the amount of so-called doctors that were sent to Bolivia. And the amount was 703 uh, supposed doctors working on Bolivia. But from those 703 doctors, 497 didn't have a title in medicine. So they weren't qualified? They were not doctors. Okay. So that... Were they spies? <laughs> exactly. Okay. The investment that the that, that, that the Bolivian state made on public health was actually being made on the Cuban state security apparatus to interfere in the internal business but of do, Bolivia. Do the Bolivians know that or do they think they're doctors? So well, now they know. Right, now they know, but then now, they thought they were getting doctors and the they were most actually... Of them, yeah, of course, the most of yeah. them think that they are doctors. I think this is another thing that perhaps people in the West don't understand is the amount that Cuba interferes in other countries... Venezuela is, being another example. Venezuela, the, the collapsing of the, uh, of the Venezuelan democracy cannot be understood without the support, the coordination, the military invasion of, uh, of the Cuban regime in, in that country. And just briefly to touch on, your, on, your, on, the, on the, in the first part of your question, um, there is still a Castro regime in Cuba. His daughter is still there. So, and yeah. his son, his daughter, uh, mm. Raul Castro, is still alive and, and is still commanding uh, the, the most important decisions. And this Diaz-Canel was appointed by, uh, by Raul Castro and is a puppet of the military that is, by the way, the, the military conglomerate in Cuba is also under the Castro family. Uh, uh, a, a, a key person there is um, the General López Callejas, which is former uh, son-in-law of uh, Raúl Castro. So it's mainly friend and family. Okay, so it's a family government, really. It's more it's like a, a royal family than a exactly. than exactly. a people's um, government. Mafia um, you you said at the beginning that your your father Oswaldo's group that he founded was sort of linked to Christianity, not an explicitly Christian group. But I want to ask, how does the Catholic Church function in a communist regime? Is it still, are you still allowed to go to church? Do the communists see it as a, something to be stamped out in the way it was in the Soviet Union or, or whatever? Is it dangerous to be a priest in Cuba? Well, now it is, especially if you are a priest that, go, uh, that, that goes out with the people and protests in the streets. Actually, several priests have been have been beaten and arrested because of that actions. 
uh, it's not dangerous to go to the church in Cuba in this moment in the sense that nobody's going to arrest you or beat you because you just assist to mass. Um, but you are going to be, a, or you could be persecuted and repressed for the fact that you are a member of the church, of an active member of the church. For sure, if you are a priest, if you are a nun, if you are a bishop, you are going to be, a, you're going to have a, a file on the Cuban state security and you're going to be, a, to be at least um, under surveillance uh, the whole the So whole under time. surveillance, yeah. yeah. Yes. So, I mean, how many, sorry, just, you, you mentioned the Cuban state security a few times. I mean, they must have an enormous number of people they have. Under surveillance. Yeah. Yes, and they have an number, enormous number of people also in their, in, in their body. So in their organisation, you mean? Yes. A, num- the, a number of operatives who... Yes, yes. In, in, yeah, you get called <laughs> an organisation. Um, to, to, uh, maybe um, the audience can better understand it or I can better explain it if... if uh, if you think on what the KGB used to do during uh, during the, the during the Soviet Union period, or what the Stasi used to do um, in Germany, actually the Cuban state security apparatus was first trained by the KGB, but lastly they were they were disciples of. Uh, of so the disciples, yeah. disciples. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. That's okay. <laughs> my my Spanish isn't very good, so I'm not <laughs> going to correct your English. No, please but, yeah. do it. So that basically, the the Cuban doesn't really. I don't think it was surprising to learn that, that it's it's based on the kind of classic communist repression tools oh. of repression. So KGB and the Stasi. Totally. You know. Totally, but now you have to add that they have the support of and the and the and the and the. Um, caution of the uh, Chinese Communist Party, especially on the telecommunication area. So they are getting more sophisticated, mm-hmm. if, I, if I could say it. Even when the Cuban regime is a very weak and a very vulnerable one, they have this know-how of uh, surveillance and repression that they not only use uh, to keep their power in Cuba, but also, for instance, to keep the power of the Maduro dictatorship in Venezuela to support the repression in Nicaragua. Yeah, it's very striking how the Maduro regime has kind of clung on despite the economic collapse. Well, the there. whole the, the thing is that we have to we have to understand that um, economic if is key, of course, but this postmodern totalitarian states or authoritarian states in the case of, of, of Venezuela, they are big on a military counterintelligence. And that's key to prevent a, the overturn of the dictatorship because at the end of the day, they are, a, in the case of Cuba, they are a murderous military regime that is ready to use their weapons against the people. And that's the ultimate power. And they control it totally because of the military counterintelligence and the Cuban regime. Military counterintelligence is also in Venezuela. They are actually in control of the of the military through this strategy. 
So yes, they have been backing up the Maduro regime. They helped Hugo Chavez to go to power and they are the reason why uh, uh, the uh, Chavism is so resilient even when uh, they, the Maduro regime have been under such amount of pressure that should be actually also directed against the Castro regime, which is ironically weaker. Mm. I wonder, I mean, what is your assessment of the state of the Cuban regime now, the condition of the regime in terms of, are we, do you think we are close to the kind of change that you would like to see? I think that is uh, is very likely, but it's not as spontaneous. Uh, well, as, as we just mentioned, they have the weapons and they're ready to use it. They actually did it. During last summer, they, they, they shut down young people in the streets. They killed people in, in the streets because of the fact that they had a cell phone in their hands and they were screaming freedom. And, and they began a... a massive wave of repression. There are more than 1,000 political prisoners right now on the island. 1,000, at least 1,000. At least 14 of them are children, children age of 16 years old, 17 years old, being condemned up to 18 years in prison. That's going on on, on the island and that's a repressive machinery that is very powerful. The other face of the coin is that the Cuban people is just fed up and saying, enough, we want a change in the system. We want democracy. We want the, the, the possibility of actually being happy in this country, which is not an option right now for the Cuban people. And that's the main source of weakness of the, of the dictatorship. But you have to add there the fact that Fidel Castro is dead. Raul Castro is dying. Puppet president and the whole regime has zero legitimacy on the eyes of the Cuban people. So yes, it is a very weak regime, very weak economically. Uh, they destroyed the production capacity of Venezuela. So right now they that they they don't have even the support or the economic support that they used to have when uh, when Hugo Chavez was alive and, and and Venezuela was not completely destroyed yet. Um, yes, they are a very weak regime, but but the Cuban people needs the support of the international community, and that element is key if um, if we are actually talking about helping the uh, Cuban people to win um, democracy on the island, which is actually key to uh, two important things. The first one is to remove Venezuela, Nicaragua, and Cuba from the grasp of the Putin regime, because there is an alliance there. Uh, and second, to guarantee some possibility of democratic stability in the, con in, in, in the region, in, in, in Latin America and in the Americas in general. Uh, you have to start by ending the head of the octopus that lives in Havana. Mm, I, you mentioned Russia there, and obviously the Putin regime has been hit with a massive set of sanctions, the Russian economy. Some predict it's going to fall 20% GDP this year alone. How do you see that affecting Cuba? What is the economic relationship between Russia and Cuba? As I understand it, Russia is kind of the major creditor 
of the Cuban government. Yes, they, 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 the Cuban regime owes around two point two billion dollars to the to the Putin regime, actually to the to the Russian people. Um, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film. If only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com/slash-switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month, unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And uh, and the Putin regime just announced a few months ago. Uh, actually, not a few months, a few weeks ago, right before the invasion, they just announced that they will postpone that debt for at least five years. Okay. Of course, in exchange, the Cuban regime announced um, uh, its support for um, the the actions of Putin, the claims on uh, Donetsk and Lukhan as independent republics and condemn the NATO actions in Europe and in, in Ukraine. And it's very clear that there is um, an alliance mm -hmm. between the Cuban regime and, 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 the, and the Putin regime. Actually, they have been so bold as threatening with a second Cuban missile crisis if mm. uh, the American administration does not comply With the with the Putin demands, actually the the deputy prime minister, uh, Mr. Borisov, was in uh, was in Havana, and um, and the foreign minister made declarations saying that he could not confirm or deny the possibility of deploying Russian troops in Cuba. Right. Again, if the American administration does not comply with with Putin demands. And this is very, very concerning because, of course, it's something that is being done without the consent of the Cuban people, but it's also something that has been done in the past and that could be repeated. So it's, um, in, in many ways, the support for the Cuban people called for freedom right now is not just the right thing to do, it's almost the low-hanging fruit to take to at least uh, guarantee some stability in the Americas. 
Yeah, so you can, you can make an argument that it's very much in America's... As it was in 1963, it was in America's security interest to do something about the regime. I would say in their West best interest. Yeah, in the sort of cause of liberal democracy, if you like. Mm-hmm. I mean, speaking of Westerners, how does it make you feel when you see Western politicians, I think of the former leader of the Labour Party here in England, who declare solidarity with a dictatorship in your, that is, like you say, locking up thousands of people? Well, <sighs> dictators and, and criminals in general have always had uh, supporters. It's very sad because when we talk about the Cuban situation, we are not talking about um, or we are not talking from a partisan point of view. We are talking about a universal point of view and the fact that all human beings, British and Cuban citizens, we all have the right to have rights, just as my father used to say. So it's very frustrating for Cubans to see how those that enjoy um, the privilege of actually having access to the exercise of the human rights and, uh, and that actually play and live in democracies to, to willingly and explicitly deny their rights for the Cubans by showing support or sympathy with murderous dictators. What do you think about Westerners going on holiday to Cuba? Because that, again, is, you're basically giving money to the regime, you? perpetuating oh. this. Oh, it is. I mean, it's, that's just a fact. Each penny that you spend in Cuba is a penny that is going to the military conglomerate so that it's a penny that can end up being spent in repressing the Cuban people or in the pockets of the Cuban military oligarchs. And that, those are the two options. There's no more options because it's a totalitarian state. Uh, having said so, I, I have this very dramatic belief that the human beings should be free to decide what to do and where to go. Just if you decide to go to the island, please do not believe that you're helping the Cuban people by doing so. If you decide to go as a tourist to Varadero, just keep in mind that the immensely, the majority of the Cuban people do not have that privilege. If you enter in a, in a, in a, in a hotel in Cuba, please be aware that you are giving your dollars or your pounds to the military conglomerate that actually owns that, uh, that hotel. And that's just the reality. It strikes me that a lot, and again, coming back to the kind of Western, there's a romanticization of Cuba in the minds of some people in the West about Havana and classic cars and mojitos and cigars and stuff like this. But yeah, I think it's very unhelpful mm-hmm. to, to Cubans. Do you think there's anything that, you know, organisations who are against the regime can do to change that image in popular culture? Well, we have a... a a lot of work to do to demystify Cuba. Demystify. Demystify. Yes, yeah. that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> because the Cuban regime have been 
very big in propaganda. I mean, yeah. communists in general, they are very good in propaganda. The Castro regime have been excellent in selling their own idea. And, of course, the, the whole myth of David versus Goliath that they have sold um, uh, on the trying to present their relationship with United States as a major um, differendum has helped a lot. Uh, but reality is that Goliath is the Cuban regime and David is the Cuban people. Right. And, and that's the message yeah. that, the, that the international community uh, should have and, and see. And the, the real call here is for, for the citizens of the world to try to look at the Cuban people, at the human beings that live on that, on, on, on that island and try to uh, remove the the lens of ideology and um, Che Guevara crappy yeah. propaganda. Yeah, I was going to say Che Guevara t-shirts and this kind of romantic image. If you actually read about what he did, yeah, uh, yeah. you might feel a bit less... Uh, Ironically, very yeah. commercial, uh, pop kind of icon. Uh, and he wasn't even Cuban either, was he? He was Argentinian. Right? He was Argentinian. He killed a lot of Cubans, he assassinated a lot of Cubans, he sent people to forced labor camps just for the fact that they were not communist. And he is the opposite of what many of his fans believe. Yeah, I mean, what do you think about, at the moment, the Cuban government is conducting this sort of pseudo-democratic exercise there's a new law coming out to do with equal marriage and things like this. I mean, what is that about? Is it just to sort of show, is it to show a certain face to the outside world? It is about circus. It's about entertaining. It's about distracting from repression, from hunger, from, uh, from the misery that the Cuban people is actually experiencing this point. And it is a cool, hot topic, right? Uh, a murderous, racist, homophobic regime uh, playing around as some kind of um, like gay a woke, right. a woke regime, Exactly, yeah. exactly. I mean, uh, with my father in the forced labor camps, there were a lot of gay people just because of the fact that they were gay. Yeah. Uh, and um, LGTV communities is very repressed on the uh, on the island, but of course the daughter of Raúl Castro can always said that she is supporting gay rights when she is sending gays to jail if those gays just dare to say that they want to have I don't know um, an independent newspaper. Yeah. No, if you Google Cuban LGBT, you can see lots of protesters being beaten up by the police in the middle of Havana, including we had a, a couple of years ago, we had a, a guest on the podcast called Boris Gonzalez Arenas, who campaigns for LGBT rights in Cuba. And he was beaten up and arrested um, shortly before coming on the podcast, which was a real eye opener. Mm -hmm. So we mentioned, you mentioned the perception of 
David versus Goliath and the United States against Cuba. That's how kind of anti-Western Westerners like to frame it. They'd say, oh, it's against imperialism, you know. Uh, but how, I mean, how, if, how has the blockade affected or the embargo affected Cuba? And c- could the West be more creative in its approach to... Yes, of course. To regime change, if you like. You can always be more creative. Um, Just to to be clear, blockade is what the Cuban regime has against the Cuban people. (laughs) They are blocking uh, prosperity, they are blocking human rights, they are blocking the most basic needs of, of the human beings that lives in Cuba. The embargo, on the other hand, has been also presented with a lot of um, lies to the international community. For instance, the um, United States, one of the top five commercial partners of Cuba in this moment with the embargo. Um, okay, so America is still one of Cuba's biggest trading partners. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. I mean... Uh, there is this perception that it's totally cut off, but it's just not the case. What... What the embargo prevents is that the Cuban military oligarchy access to credit in American banks, which, if you ask me, um, is what all Western countries should be doing because that money is spent on repression. But uh, um, to, it, it, the embargo have been also widely used to justify the repression uh, of the Cuban people by the regime. Uh, so it has its, its, its lights and its darkness, but in any case, the Cuban situation should be analyzed as intrinsically in differendum with the United States. The Cuban people has not a problem with the government of the United States or with any foreign government. The Cuban people have a problem with a dictatorship that um, that is uh, that is in place. And yes, we need more creativity and more support from the international community. And that's par- partially why I'm here in uh, in UK because we are talking about um, crimes against humanity that have been committed. By a by the Cuban regime in a daily basis, and for instance, UK has a a global mechanism of sanctions against abusers of human rights, and we have a whole list of human rights abusers that are sitting on the top of the Cuban regime, together with, for instance, the list of all the judges and the prosecutors that are right now condemning peaceful protesters to decades in in prison and all these people should have consequences for their acts. The government of UK has in its hands the possibility to 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 rise the cost of repression in, in Cuba and those steps should be should be taken. Yeah and that was my next question was gonna be what could what can Western Governments do, but I think you've had you've kind of answered it quite quite well there in terms of we here in the UK, and we've seen you know enthusiasm. It's sanctions season, so why not add some more repressive bastards to the list? Um, mm-hmm. What do you think that we ordinary people who 
support Cuban people and not the Cuban government can do to help the Cuban people? Uh, help us to spread their voice. Help us to spread the message. Help us to advocate in front of your government for sanctions to the criminals, for, for instance. For instance, here in London, there is a Cuban bank. Yeah, yeah. It's still got a license to... Having bank. Yeah. That's, that's unbelievable that, that, that UK is enabling the Cuban regime and especially the Cuban military elite to profit from London and to make transactions from London with the rest of the world. Uh, that license should be cancelled immediately. And it is, it is in, in, in the hands of the British people because it is in the hands of the British, of the British government to do, to do so. We, um, there are still companies that are profiting in Cuba over the rights of the Cuban people. There is a very successful and beautiful experience that the world had to end the apartheid in South Africa. And it's called the Sullivan Principles. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's just a, a few principles or, or ideas that especially companies can embrace not to engage on enriching the dictators, but to uh, embrace social responsibility and, uh, and, and demand respect for human rights of their workers and, and, and the citizens in, in general in the countries where they are. And we need something like that for Cuba. We need the British government enforcing the in the national international law about human trafficking and persuading other governments and the British territories overseas to cancel any kind of contract with the Cuban state on medical brigades. Okay, so I mean that's a good way to sum up. I think there's a it's clear there that there's. A great deal that actually the UK can do to weaken the regime and, and help the Cuban people. Rosa, thank you very much indeed for coming on the CapEx podcast. It's been extremely revelatory and educational. And we, and on behalf of our listeners, I can only wish you all the best with your work standing up for human rights and democracy in Cuba. Thank, thank you. you so much.